This episode is sponsored by Plan B Games. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Board Game Geek Podcast where we geek out about board games, the mechanisms behind them, and the people who create them. I'm your host, Candace Harris, and I am super excited to be here today with Jess Cassidy, who many people know as Board Game Girl across social media and from her appearances on Heavy Cardboard. How's it going today, Jess? It's going well. Good to see you. It's good to see you, too. <laughs> what is new in your world? I mean, it was great great seeing you at PAX a couple weeks ago. Yeah, PAX Unplugged was awesome. I love that convention. It's become that convention at the end of the year. It's kind of a wind down and everybody's relaxed and you may actually get to play games, which is just <laughs> novel at a convention like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I had a blast, too. Uh, this time we were experimenting. I ended up putting together a a kind of a vlog video slash little documentary nice. of, of uh, some of the cool stuff I saw. And Beth Hiley from BGG was with me. So we were kind of experimenting with that format because, you know, pre-pandemic uh, at a lot of conventions, BGG would have a booth right. and publishers would come and bring games and, you know, we would host them and talk about the games at a table at our booth. But we haven't been doing that for a couple of years. I don't know if we'll go back to it at some point, but we wanted to just experiment with, you know, being on foot with our cell phones and a couple of, you know, Bluetooth mics and see what we could do. So it was a little like different for me because I'm like trying to think about how am I going to cut this little video together? But I'm also trying to like focus on like cool games I was checking out. Uh, it ended up being really fun, but uh, I I really enjoy PAX Unplugged also. Well, that's where you're from, right? Yeah, my family's in Philly, so it's like I've been kind of doubling it up as a trip to visit them as well. Yeah, that makes it easy. It's easy for me because being up in Boston, I can just take the train down. It's six hours. Oh. It's nice. I can still work. You yeah. like it's it's very and we you talked about those divided priorities, right? Like you right. want to have fun, you want to check out the games, you want to see people you haven't seen, but you also want to do some work and like get some stuff yes. out there to folks about what's happening at the convention and Having that six hours on the way down to kind of prep and then even on the way back to kind of maybe go through and grab photos and, you know, post on social media or what have you. It's really nice. I like it a lot. Process. Process all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really cool that you took the train. Yeah. Ah, I love long train rides like that. Oh, you have no idea. So BGG Con is a great one from here. You can take a train Wow. From Boston all the way directly to the convention center in Texas. Really? Yes. And when we did that, we did that with a group of people and it was train con. Like we basically <laughs> did played train games on a train yes, yes, all the I way to BGG Con. It was absolutely fantastic. But I would recommend if you ever do a train convention like that, do get the sleeper bunk. We decided to be cheap and not do that because we're like, we're going to be playing games. It's (laughs) fine. We don't, we can just fall asleep in the seat. No, no, 
That was oh, not fun. No. I, sleeper car. It, <laughs> sleeper car. But. And how, how long was that journey? Do you remember? Um, it's just overnight, I believe. I think it was okay. like one day overnight, and then we got there late the next day. There could have been two overnights if I'm misremembering. I, okay. It was 2018 um, that we did that, and it was lovely. So I highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, it did stop with the pandemic, but maybe like the amazing board game geek booth that used to be at conventions, yeah. maybe it'll come back uh, post, <laughs> post-pandemic because that was great. I loved when BGG did that. That was cool. a wonderful thing. Cool, cool. Well, I will, I will speak to the powers that Right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, since this is the last BGG podcast episode of 2023, today we're going to discuss some of our favorite games that we played this year. We're mostly going to focus on games that came out in 2023, but we thought it'd be fun to kind of just mention a few games that were released prior to 2023 that we played for the first time this year, too. I know it's always hard kind of coming up with like top 10 lists, top five lists for anything. And even just kind of recalling like what all did we play this year? You know, especially you have this like flood of games that come out at Essen and, you know, some some mm. games, Gen Con, Essen, PAX and everything. And that's like towards the tail end of the year. But a lot of great games also come out earlier in the year. So it's like you're trying to recall, like, what new games did I play earlier this year, too? Right. Yeah. But anyway, before we start talking about our favorite games of 2023, I'd love to hear what you've been playing lately, Jess. So let's jump into Fresh Plays. time because my last game that I actually played took all of a game day and <laughs> I played Sidereal Confluence. Ooh. Yeah, it's a big one. I love this game. I've played it several times now. Always at six players this last time at seven players. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had so much fun with this. So it's the subtitle is Trading and Negotiation in the Elysian Quadrant, right? Because we're different beings, and there's all these different beings that you can choose from. And then you have asymmetrical powers, like certain things that you're doing. I was the green player, which is like these plants. So I'm very plant-based, <laughs> and nice. I, but I like to like exploit for resources like most beings do when they're out in, you know, the Elysian quadrant and then go (laughs) and I have to extend my powers and kind of protect myself. But I'm really good at doing planty things. So I go and get different planets and then I go get these resources. The entire time though, everybody's a different being that's doing this. And it's all about wait for it, it's directly in the name, trading and negotiation, because (laughs) everybody's going to be getting different resources and you may need some of those resources, but you're not able to create them and you need them to go and advance technologies. But these technologies benefit everybody. Mm. So you want these technologies to be developed, not just by you, but by everybody in the game. You just don't want them to do so well that they ultimately win the game. So I love that there's this cooperative element. And I'll tell you, 
I normally don't like negotiation games because usually I'm just too quiet. I'm not bold enough to be like, hey, (laughs) I need that resource. Take these two chips for it. Like that's, I'm just quieter. And you wouldn't think because like I'm bold in life and on social media, but not so much in a game. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) This is a good counteraction to that because everybody does want everyone to do marginally well, just not as good as they do, right? So you're looking to create those best deals. And my favorite thing is that the negotiations are binding. Mm. When I first played it and they said they were binding, I was like, oh no, I don't know if I like this. No, it's great. You have to go (laughs) and repay the person. You make a deal. It can even be repaid, and it usually is, in a future round Ah. But if you fail to make good, then the person you made the deal with, you have to make them happy. So you have to renegotiate until they're happy or you get severely penalized. So you need to like be like, okay, we got to figure this out. And they could be coming at you like, well, I'm going to take one of your planets. You're going to trade a planet (laughs) then. And you're like, no, I need my planet. Like, so it's, (laughs) and again, you don't want to hurt each other too much because then. If you take my planet and now I can't do any technologies, you also aren't going to get those technologies advanced on your Tableau. So it's a crazy, awesome game. I could see it being player dependent a little bit in that if people don't understand being semi-cooperative until you you kind of go for that you know, gut punch, like (laughs) that beginning part. (laughs) If you don't understand doing that, then it could be not a great experience. But every time I've played it, it's been fantastic. And weird little things happen where you're like, I was making those things for you. And you were able to give me this. And then we did the thing. And it's, it's a good game. I have only played Sidereal Confluence once. And I've only played with five players too, like, which I think is kind of probably the bare minimum that most people would recommend playing with. Yeah. Uh, But it was so Good, even at five players, and I have always like wanted to revisit it. It's been on my shelf, and I don't know why I haven't gotten it to the table. But uh, I'm glad you brought it up because now it's reminding me I need to play this again. I just remember loving it. Like I don't remember exactly how everything works. I I do like that all that like simultaneous kind of trading and negotiation that's going on. Um. So yeah, I have to get back to this one. You really, really, really do. And the thing is, I feel like this is what happens when a designer decides to make a game based on a passion project, or I should say this is what can happen. So (laughs) Tau Seti um, Dykeman, he's the designer of this game, and he never meant for this to actually become a published game. He designed this Uh. game as this huge game for him and his game group to play. And if you can imagine, it was way bigger when he first designed it, like a 16-hour game. Like this was a whole weekend or they went on a getaway and played this over days type game. But they had so much fun that they begged him. They're like, you've got to pare it down and get this published. It's that good. It is such a great experience. Such a unique combination of these mechanisms, and you're just invested. It's great. Yeah. And that's what he did. And then it was originally released in 2017. 
And then WizKids um, remastered it and it came out in 2020. So now it's in a new box, new art, um, but same gameplay. So yeah, but it does awesome. take a whole game day. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you remember how many hours it was for you guys I at seven? I think it was around five. It was a game okay. day. That's what okay. I know is we started at noon and by the time we ended people were ready to get dinner. Like, so yeah. it was <laughs> absolutely it. <laughs> a full game day. Um, and it can take, you know, we actually set a timer for the negotiations, not really to be super strict and like, that's it, we're done. More to just watch our time and make sure we weren't getting yeah, carried away sure. with how right. long that phase took. Honestly, usually after the first couple rounds, we usually were done before the timer and and kind of okay. gotten a flow of it. So and the structure of it, it's great. It's really, the phases are all planned right out. You know what's coming. Yeah, it's it's cool. big, but, but they simplified it as much as you can simplify a big game like this. Yeah, and I, I remember my five-player game, we played on a weeknight. So it was, yep. it couldn't have been more than like three, three and a half hours, I would imagine. But right. I just remember we all loved it. It flies and, by. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to play this one again. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. That is Sidereal Confluence. So what about you? Oh, so I I was thinking about this for a while, like which two games I wanted to talk about. And I'm actually going to make my first game a twofer. I'm a little, cheating a little bit just because I had to talk about <laughs> some of the card games I got to play with my family when I was back east. Mm-hmm. One being a game called Delt, which was first released as Crass Cariart, which is the, that's the version that I have, but it got an English release called Delt. All and right. it's a 2018 game designed by Katya Stremel, and it's from Amigo, plays with three to five players. And this is actually back in 2019. This was, I think, the first game I've ever imported. Like, I bought it on uh, the German Amazon. Oh, I uh, love Amazon.de, and it was exciting. Couldn't wait to get this. But this game kind of, like, set me off into, like, being like, oh, my gosh, I want to find every awesome, like, trick-taking or climbing-shedding game there is. And that was my first burst of excitement with those type of games. It came from this, and I played it so much. And I gave my, I taught it to my mom years ago, gave her my copy, bought myself another copy, which I think I imported also. But then Scout came out and Scout kind of killed it for me. And I'm mm. like, oh, well, I don't think I need to play Crash Cariart or Delt again because I like Scout. It's doing some of the same things, but in, in a more interesting way. So time has passed. I played a lot of Scout. I played a lot of all sorts of trick taking and climbing shedding games. Right. And I'm at my mom's and we're like, oh, let's play this. She used to call it checkered combos. So we're like, let's let's play that. Let's break that all out. We all know how to play it. Hadn't played for a while. And I fell right back in love with it. And I started to kind of appreciate the differences between it and Scout. Because in my mind, it was like, oh, they're very similar and Scout did it better. But they're they're different. They have like a different feel to them. Mm-hmm. The, the really the main thing they have in common is that you're you're playing combos to beat and you can't rearrange the cards in your hand. Um, but Crash Cariart or De- I should call it Delt because that's what people are going to look for if you're going to try to get this game. Delt. Um, when you get your hand of cards, you also get these two reserve cards that are face up in front of you. Mm. So everybody gets dealt two extra cards that everyone can see. And in unlike Scout, if people are familiar with Scout, you don't keep kind of going around the table till somebody can't beat the combo. 
Instead, you just go one time around the table and you either beat the combo or you pass and you have to pick up a card from your reserve. Ah, yeah. You know, and you can choose to strategically do that because you can put that card anywhere you want in your hand. Because remember, I, I didn't say, I said you can't rearrange the cards in your hand, but you also have to only play cards that are adjacent to each other from your hand. Oh. So, yeah, so picking up, sometimes you want to pick up your reserve card even though you don't have to. But of course, if you don't have a com- like a combo that can beat the one that the previous player played, then you have to put a card in your hand. And at, at a point where you need to pass, where you're forced to pass, and you do not have a reserve card to pick up, you bust. And you have to lose one of your life tokens. So this is a game where there's not one winner, but instead there's one loser. Because at any point where you have to uh, give up a life token and you don't have any more, you lose the game and everybody else kind of won. Oh, that's but, fantastic. It's, it's yeah. first to lose. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a really fun game. And it's like, again, it has some overlap with Scout. But And I know some people who like prefer this, who've played both, but prefer this one over Scout. So I would just say anybody who likes Scout and you haven't heard of Delt or tried it, give it a try. It's um, It's really, really, really solid. And then, have you played Scout before, Jess? Yes. Okay. Are you like, are you into trick? Where are you on the trick taking game scene? Oh, I love <laughs> trick taking games. Absolutely. Okay, cool. um, I think I've actually played Cross Carrier as well, too. Probably at like a New Year's Eve party over at my friend Joe's because he always has these imported little yeah, card yeah. games and loves <laughs> trick takers. Cool. So, you probably played yeah, it. I get yeah. a lot of trick takers uh, to the table. It's hard to remember. I love hearing the story because it's hard to remember which ones hit because we'll sit down and play four yeah. or five of them. And I'm like, oh, I love that one. And then I'm trying to explain to, you know, like which one it is and which right. one, you know, can you tell me the name of that? I'm like the one with the cows. with the, And <laughs> this one reminded me because you said checkers and I was like, oh yeah, the checkered back. On the back, on the back of the card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's that's dealt. And the other game I just wanted to briefly throw into, just because we had such a fun time with it, is a game called Spicy. And this is a 2020 release uh, designed by Giori Zoltan Gaber. And it's published by Heidelberg Games. And I received a review copy of this when I met with CGE at PAX Unplugged because CG is now distributing Heidelberg games and there's a new version of Spicy coming out. I think it was called like Sweet and Spicy. But anyway, I had never played this before. It's a two to six player game. Uh, It's a bluffing game. So you have like three suits of these like kind of pepper cards and the cards are numbered one through ten. Each suit, there are three cards of each number. So there are three ones, three twos, three threes for each of the three colors. And you're going to shuffle this deck and everybody's going to get a hand of cards. And then what happens is you will be playing cards face down into the center of the table, face down. And you have to, so let's say I lead, I have to lead with a one, two, or three, but I declare what my card is. So I could say this is a two red. And then when it comes to you, Jess, you can pass, I think, and draw a card, or you can put another card that's higher in ascending order So you could say this is a five red on top and then the next person could go and it goes up to 10. And once once somebody plays the 10, then you can keep looping around, but you have to start with the one, two or three again. So Mm -hmm. you're just like kind of like playing cards, but you're 
you have to match what was uh, previously played. But the thing is, this is a bluffing game and we're playing cards face down. So you could lie and say, yeah, this is a red five and it could be a blue five or it could be a yellow two. You know, it just could be wrong. It could be right. So anyone at the table after you play a card can challenge you and say, ah, I don't know. You know, maybe because of the cards that have been played in previous rounds, you're like, "Mm, I don't think there is another five red card. I think Jess is lying. Right. You know, but when you call someone out, you have to say whether the number is wrong or the color. I mean, it could be both, but you have to call what it is. Yeah. So let's say you did play a blue five and I'm like, no, Jess didn't play a five and we flip it over and it's a five. I lose that challenge. So I have to draw more cards and you're mm-hmm. trying to get rid of your cards. Right. Meanwhile, you get to score the cards. You get to take the cards that were in the pile and you'll score them later when we score. It's one point per card. Okay. So so there's a whole thing of like, are they telling the truth? Are they lying? And it was hilarious uh, because my mom was very obvious when she didn't have a card. That's She's nice. like putting it in slowly to the <laughs> table. It's like... Uh, uh, stuttering a little like right. uh, uh, that's a green five or you know yeah uh, and we're just like no it's not <laughs> and then you but, but you, you have need to, to know which one it is but you need to know which one is off exactly so that helps those people that are having trouble <laughs> with lying because you still have to know what yes. they're lying about and they could yes. be tricking you exactly so that's a great point there Jess because <laughs> what happened was after we played our first game she got hip to the fact that we could tell when she was bluff or when she was bluffing. So then she started leaning into that. Right. And she was fooling my partner, Matt. Like, and I was like, no, I I think she's doing this to pretend she's bluffing so that someone challenges and she gets to win the cards. So there's all these like mind games going on where you're trying to, you know, when you are lying, you're trying to make people think you're not lying. Yes. And when you're telling the truth, you want people to think you're lying. So they call your bluff and you get to score the cards. So anyway, it's it's just it. The more we, we ended up playing like three, three games back to back, the more we played, the better it got. You know, the meta at the table yes. of trying to figure out who's pretending. And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, that I love that. So you said bluffing. And I was like, Oh, I don't know, because I'm such a bad liar. I'm really <laughs> not good at it. I yeah. think my face is fine. But I do not have a poker face. You can see yeah. <laughs> everything on my face. And so I but I could lean into it. And then right. be like, okay, well, now right. I'm gonna do that this next time. And I mean, I think there's something like 200 mechanisms now that are used in games that are yeah. like listed out. I believe in this that dictionary of mechanisms, and one of my favorites is that theory of mind, where it's like you have to try to predict how the other player is acting, yes. and then wh- how you're going to react to that. But then maybe they're that. acting that way, so you react to it. And right, that- I love I love mind games like that. Yep. <laughs> It's like, so good. Yeah, the psychology of that is fantastic. Yes, yes. And it's like this game like kind of presented that so much. And the other little spice I'll mention is there are some wild cards in the deck. So there are wild number cards. So it could be a one through 10. Um, right. So if you called somebody's bluff on the color, uh, they would lose. But if you called them on the number, their their number is one through 10 because it's right. a wild. 
But then there's a, also wild color cards too. So that also like adds some spice because it's like, oh, I'm going to call this person out. And that happened a couple times where someone called it out and said number and you flip it over and it's the wild number yeah. card and you're like, ah! I got you. It is the number, not the yeah. color. But- yeah. But anyway, we, we just had a great time playing those, uh, those games, Delt and Spicy. So I just wanted to kind of mention those two. But what else have you been playing? So I'm going again to the opposite side of the spectrum to something really, really heavy. <laughs> Love but it. These yes. are the last two games I actually played. So that's how the it freshest ended up plays. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this was Galactic Cruise actually at PAX Unplugged. I get to yes. I got to go take a look at that. Um, it's coming up from Kinson Key Games. It's their first game. Designed by a trio of designers. Again, all their first design. TK King, Dennis Northcott, and Colton Thompson. These guys are great, and they're going all in on this game. I mean, Ian O'Toole, graphic design. The campaign's going to have all these content creators covering, covering it. It's not even... So this is not even released yet. It's hitting Kickstarter in March. But this game has been ready for a while. So wow. yeah, they've they're it's done. The prototype is how it's going to be. Maybe some tweaks from further plus play testing, but they'd be minor. Like you are supervisors at this company called Galactic Cruise. So it's a space travel luxury cruise company, right? Like you've got to get. I love it. Yeah, you got to build your <laughs> ships. You got to attract people to come ride your ships and make sure that they have what you you know that what they want is on the ship. So they want to go on this cruise with you. You have to have the technology to do this. And again, it kind of actually goes back to what I was talking about in City Real Confluence, where there's this, you know, you're competing because you want to determine who's going to become the CEO out of all these supervisors that you are, that you're playing as. But the technology does get shared, right? And you're opening up connections for other players as well as you're developing these things in the game. And so you do want to do things that help other supervisors so that they do things that help you and like things open up. But ultimately, you want to be the CEO of this company. And I just like this unique theme too, because we haven't gone really on a space cruise before, like where we're marketing the cruise. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and going out into space and you know it just it checks all the boxes for me it's it's a really 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 fun time i um i actually had the pleasure of playing it at bgg con i played a prototype of galactic cruise and nice. yeah i'm like this is this is going to be a banger like if you did not know this was three new designers and you just see the eno tool artwork and the way the game plays and the weight of it, you'd think this is a Lacerda game. Yeah, you know it. It it has that 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 feel to it. Yeah, um, and it even uses heavy- one of the mechanisms that he's known for, right? Like you, it's yes. worker placement. Yeah, but the and bump. you can't bump yourself. Like so, <laughs> right. you yeah, so you can't go in the place you already went. Like Gallerist, it's it's pretty it's pretty spectacular for a first time to get. I can't t- wait to see what they do next. Like if this yeah, is your yeah. first game. <laughs> Wow. And I just love, like you were saying, like the theme is so cool because I like that you're, as you're building your space shuttle, you know, you're putting those rooms in. Yeah. And it's just like, 
it's just a fun thing. So for like a heavy game to have this fun thing, like, oh, I remember I was like, I'm going to put a casino in with my wine tasting room and a movie theater or something like that. (laughs) It gives you that fun at the end of like, oh, I really like my spaceship. I would travel on this spaceship. And it, it seems really, really fun. And I like the game end that they did as well. What did you think of that with the fact that like, (laughs) (laughs) you don't exactly know, right? And you could push game end. It's funny you should ask because I actually didn't have the greatest first experience with this because we had a rough teach and there was a missed uh, step in the setup that was making the game drag but we didn't catch it till we were like ah, two down so we ended up before. we ended up having to end early right so i don't actually know you know outside of that i could see the potential that this is like going to be an awesome game well, even though i is, had kind of a bumpy experience this is really good to to address though because game end is dependent upon the action of the players right so mm, they really didn't yes. want it to be heads down solitaire so of course right. you know there's the developing of those technologies they said and opening up of the development on the board and that is going to be your player interaction right there you're going to be seeing what people are doing so maybe you let them do it because you want to do this other thing and then all of it opens up so you have that but then in game end you don't know at the beginning of the game how long it's going to go when Mm. you're completing the company goals you get progress cubes and those impact when the game ends, like a certain number of progress cubes are placed on the progress track and that's it. Yeah. So you're watching that, but somebody could be ready to do a bunch of goals and then they're going to boom, boom, boom. Yes. Rush it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so ours, uh, the, the, uh, setup error we had was that there weren't enough guests or customers placed. So a lot of the goals and everything were going really, really slow because we weren't able to get the customers. And I forget, but it was something that was kind of like really like slowed down by that. And I was kind of thinking, I'm like, they really need to put some kind of way if the players aren't pushing the game. Like when you play 18 Chesapeake, how the trains auto export. But, you know, at that point, I'm as I'm thinking that we we didn't realize we were playing it wrong. Right. <laughs> like we didn't set it up right. So I'm like, oh, this is probably not how it's supposed to feel. But that being said, I love games that don't that aren't just a set a num- set number of rounds. Exactly. Like I like when players are driving the pace and, you know, those kind of endings can happen. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen. I yep. find that exciting. So Yeah, cool. it it does make it really exciting. I like that aspect of it. So that was cool. definitely a hit for me. I can't wait to play this one more. I can't wait for them to actually make it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic. I love that. The cover is so dope, too. Uh, the, yeah, the art. I mean, you can tell yeah. right away it's Ian O'Toole. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> so that is Galactic Cruise. On a more serious topic, I ended up playing, I guess it was maybe a week ago or so, one of the newest Holland Spiel games, mm. Doubt is our product. So my friend Tim thankfully coordinated uh, every November Holland Spiel. They do a Holland Days yep. kind of sale. And last year I went a little nuts. So this year I was like, oh, I might not get anything. But then Tim was like, hey, you, do you want to do a group buy with a couple of us? So I was like, okay, I'll get. So I, I got ended up getting the dinosaur gauge game. Yes. And when Tim got the delivery and he was coming to bring it over, 
we were like, hey, you want to just play a couple two-player games? And he brought over, because he bought Doubt is our product. And this is designed by Amabel Holland. just came out like a month ago. And I read, uh, before we were planning to play it, I read Amabel Holland's um, really like powerful designer diary on mm. this game. Yeah. And um, basically, it's this is a two-player game where it's an asymmetrical battle against the tobacco industry in the 20th century. Yes. And one player plays as the company representing the tobacco industry, and that player is going to be playing an economic deck-building game where you're basically trying to get enough profit to win the game. There are a couple... I, there might, I think there might be another, another victory condition, but a lot of it is profit-driven, Whereas the other player Makes is sense. playing as the movement and they're playing this like puzzly political tableau building game where like it's just different organizations trying to get together, get organized to av- advocate for the legislation and regulation. So both players, we ended up playing back to back games so we could switch sides okay? because uh, we were both, you know, spoiler alert, very fascinated by it. And we were just like, we need to like try it again. And we wanted, we both wanted to see what the other side felt like. But I started as the movement. And the movement, you can win the game if you score 10 points worth of goals or if you're able to get the company, your opponent, to lose. And then on your turn, you can either, you do one thing. You either play a card from your hand, buy a card, or you pass. And when you pass, you're able to get some influence, which is the main resource that you're using mm-hmm. to to uh, pay for cards. You can either spend it by getting, you'll get tokens that are actually like influence tokens. But as you build your tableau, you can also flip over cards in your tableau to spend their influence value towards playing cards. So that's, you have some flexibility there, but there are some implications of doing that. When you buy a card, depending on the slot you take it from, it's going to trigger an action that you'll take. And the strength of each action depends on the icons on the cards in your tableau. Also, when you play cards into your tableau, I should mention, on the right and left side of the cards, all of the cards that the movement player has are icons. And if you're able to, when you place that card to the right or left of your tableau, if it matches any of the icons, you're getting some like like tokens that are going to help you with other things. So you have this messaging action, which basically impacts the company because you're like sending messages and in- informing people. And that's going to help you uh, remove doubt or lower doubt and also save victims, which I'll get into when I tell you how the company works. You could also do research to gain more influence. There's agitation, which is going to help you complete those goals that are really important to you. And whenever you're taking an action, the strength of the action depends on the icons on the cards in your tableau, but also if you have extra tokens, you can kind of spend them to boost it. So there's just this this, this puzzly tableau building game you're doing and, you know, you start off like feeling very constrained for resources. So you're trying to like build up an engine but you also like want to work towards completing your goals because your goals are going to help slow down the company a bit. And they're also going to be how you can win the game. Right. So that's that's super important. 
But then on the other hand, you have the company. The company is playing the deck building game. So you have a card market of these different types of cards um, that you can kind of buy throughout the game. And then you have this board, or it's really just like a canvas map. And it has boxes where you'll be placing victims tokens that represent. So the boxes, yeah, the boxes represent children, adults, middle-aged, and elderly people. And beneath that, you have an area where you're able to add doubt to increase the amount of doubt, which is helping you and slowing down the movement. So on the company's turn, you play cards, you buy cards, and then you draw back. And all the cards have this budget value, which you'll use to pay for cards that you want to play and also to buy cards from the market. And each card is split into a top half and a bottom half. And the cards are like very thematic, like television, print media, loopholes, trends, gimmicks. And if you play the top half of the card, you'll pay that cost and you resolve it immediately. And then you just discard the card. Otherwise, if you play the bottom, you can play it into your reserve, which is this area above. And this is one of the ways you're going to be able to shed your cards out of your deck because Mm -hmm. the reserve is going to help you until you need to reshuffle, um, make certain actions more powerful. But when you do your reshuffle, so you're going to draw back at the end of each turn. When you do your reshuffle, that's how you're going to generate profits based on the different victims you've accumulated. And it's something like all of the elderly people give you profits and then they go away. And then like, I think it was like two thirds of the middle aged people and then like half of the adults and none of the children or something like that. But you're generating profits based on the victims that you have. And then there's this procedure where they just kind of like slide over. Some go away, some slide over to the next box as people are kind of aging. Yep. But each turn you are required to play at least one card and buy at least one card. So you have to kind of manage your hand because you're spending cards to buy cards and play cards. So you have to, but you're also then trying to like chain your actions and everything. And, you know, again, when you do that reshuffle, that's when you're making profit. And if you're able to get to, I think a 70 profit, you'll win the game um, on a reshuffle. But yeah, I just, this game was extremely fascinating um, it's really interesting how the two sides play together. They're playing very different games. It almost, you could think of as two, two people playing like a solitaire game, but there is some interaction where you're interfering with each other and you're paying attention to what other people are doing. It's very thematic and deep and it's like such a heavy topic, but the, the way that this game was designed and presented is just so, so well done And, you know, the fact that it was inspired by Amabel's childhood experiences with her parents. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like really moving. And I'm, I know that that like reading that designer diary and then playing this game definitely had an impact on how I felt playing it. But I think, yeah, but I think she like nailed it, like nailed it in terms of the message that she wanted to present with this game based on that designer diary. I mean, it's the feeling of that, right? Yes, the fact that struggle is, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, gameplay wise, there's a de- like a decent amount of variability because you play with different sets of cards and the goal cards that the movement have, has, they're in this like reverse pyramid. So you can't, you only have access to the first two. Then once you uh, s- score one, 
then you have access to another one and you're kind of like opening up the more goals you score. But uh, there's going to be variability there. Uh, It takes about 90 minutes to play. You definitely feel the struggle as the movement. Like we both lost as the movement. Right. Which makes me want to like crack that puzzle. Because I think like we both didn't like push as hard as we needed to with our goals. But then you're, it's like you have to get resources. You have to do so much. So um, I'm definitely excited to like revisit this and see if we can, either of us can get to a point where we can win with the movement. But right. so unique, so well done, and just like really, really powerful theme. And it's heavy. It's a heavy topic, you know? Now, you talked about Amabel's childhood. It Didn't her father die of lung cancer? Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. And I, I would encourage people, if any of this sounds interesting, to uh, pull up that diary, designer diary on BGG and read that story. But yes, her father died at a young age from lung cancer and her mother, instead of blaming like cigarettes, like basically said it's the kid's fault kind of thing. And Mm. it's bad. It was, it was really bad. Um, But hopefully like creating this game was uh, therapeutic in a sense. Right. You you would hope so. I mean, interestingly, so my father died of, Originally lung cancer, but metastasized, brain cancer, bone cancer, liver, everywhere. Um, And because of smoking since he was 12, because that was a thing back then. And it's really interesting, but like the emotion that it provides, I can imagine playing that game and just feeling like, okay, so they got to him when he was a kid, right? And then he moved up this structure. Yeah. And that's all captured in the game. Yeah. Like the, and I I love that she chose to call them victims. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the thing to impart that feeling of how, what truly was happening and that, that they did without really a thought. Now I know, you know, back then there was, there was some doubt, right? Like that's kind of the name of the game of like, is this really the cause of these cancers? Is it the cigarettes? And you know, that that worked on some people. And this is, these are those experiences where you're playing the game and learning something at the same time or feeling something about the real world. And there was just a uh, piece in the New Yorker. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet. Um, that Amabel Holland was featured in. And I don't think I saw that. It's an amazing, it just came out um, maybe today, but uh, it, it basically was interviewing Amabel, but also Jeff Engelstein, um, Dan Thoreau was in there, a number of people cool. about the board game hobby. Really well written. And Amabel was in there um, and mentioned this topic. And it was another author that actually mentioned that it, it's limiting to say that games should just be fun. Mm, right? That's as limiting yeah. as saying that all movies should be sad was the right. quote, right? right so right. no, there's there's a breadth of human emotion that we can feel when we're enjoying a hobby and it doesn't yeah. always have to just be fun, right? So there are games that are going to bring you into an experience and there are games that are just going to feel like you're balancing your checkbook and there are yeah, games yeah. that you're, are going you're... to evoke lying and bluffing and then there are yeah. ones that are going to give you maybe that sad those sad realizations um, right. or correlations to how the world works. 
Yeah, and I I appreciate it all. I appreciate it all. But yeah, this is this is a really really unique one and just so well done. Like I just remember like every card I'm playing, I'm just like, "Wow. Wow." Like thematic across the board, like right. the mechanisms, it's it's all like really Really, really well done. And I mean, that's another passion project, right? So like Sidereal Confluence was designed just to have like a long gameplay, fun time with friends. Right. And then you have this game that's designed to give you that thematic experience and maybe make you consider aspects of things that are going on in the world. And yeah, it's all great. Yeah. So that is Doubt is Our Product. And now a word from our sponsor. Toes in the sand, flag in view. I'm ready to participate in the greatest capture the flag tournament in a box with Challenger's Beach Cup. This standalone and mixable game is the sequel to the 2023 Kenner Spiel winner, Challenger's. I don't know about you all, but I'm so eager to get this awesome game to the table over the holidays with family and friends. This game is easy to understand and can be played with up to eight players in less than an hour. For even more fun, if you are the first challengers, you can use both games and play an epic tournament between 9 and 16 players. Simply amazing! This game is bliss with a mix of deck building and auto battlers. Compete with fun new teams like Fairy Tale Characters and the Toy Store team. Will the ice cream truck help you claim victory? Or will it be the super cute hamster in a ball? So many possibilities. On your mark, get set, go to your friendly local game shop to get your copy of Challenger's Beach Cup. Who's up for the challenge? All right, let's move on to our favorite games of 2023. And I will say, as of now, as (laughs) of now, we are recording this on December 21st, 2023. As of now, this is what we're <laughs> what we're feeling. Um, and I say that because obviously, like we it's not like all of these games we've had the opportunity to play a million times. And there are also just so many awesome games that come out every mm-hmm. year. So it's always tough to kind of make any kind of list. But let's start with the Let's start with the pre-2023 games, the new-to-me category. Jess, what were some games that you played for the first time this year that didn't come out in 2023 that you uh, really enjoyed? So this one is super hard for me because I'm always playing prototypes um, or new stuff that just came out in order to cover it and, and talk to people about these games. And then if I get the opportunity, I'm going to go to like my treasured favorites, you know, so the older games are usually (laughs) games that I love that I've already played a ton that I'm dying to get back to the table. (laughs) But I do tend to end up finding new to me kind of gems at conventions like Mm -hmm. Heavy Con and the Gathering of Friends, like those are gaming conventions for me. And that's usually where somebody else really wants to get a game they love to the table. And maybe I pick up some other game. So let's see. HeavyCon, I actually played a game called Pack and Wears. It's by Hmm. Carl Heinz Schmiel um, from Mosquito Games. But he's actually the designer of Demacher. 
That's right? what I thought. Yes. <laughs> Can you believe this? So wait till you hear about this game, okay? okay because all right. <laughs> instead of fighting to gain political power in Germany, like you do in Demarker with the square tomatoes, but like you, yeah. Yeah. now you're moving furniture and you're trying to what? earn tips by delivering literal tiny dollhouse-sized furniture pieces to the correct <gasps> apartments. Wow. Oh, 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 it gets better. You have to use your choice of three types of sticks. There's like these skinny little sticks that are like chopsticks. Then there's like regular sized popsicle sticks. Then there's like tongue depressors. There's your three choices. Wow. And okay. you have go to pick on, a partner. On. Yeah, it keeps going. <laughs> you got to pick a partner. So you have to pick somebody else who's like you're playing against really but that's going to help you because you can't move this piano all the way up the stairs by yourself. Of course you, not. You pick a partner and they take the other implements and then you try to use your chopsticks or tongue depressor or popsicle sticks to lift this thing up and bring it to the apartment and put it in the room that they want it in. And then wow. during the game, you're like moving up and down stairs trying to get to the door. So you have to you know, move the right amount of spaces to get to where you want to go. This and sounds wild. It's so wild. And you're picking <laughs> up these delivery orders, right? Like, so it'll be like, deliver this to this apartment. Then you have to get to the apartment. Then you have to do delivery. If you're successful, you get a tip out of the tip bag, which is basically the pocket of whatever person you delivered it to. But sometimes like it's a little old lady and she reaches into her pocket and she gives you lint <laughs> and you deliver this piano for a tip of lint. And like, and that can happen to the person that helped you too. So there's oh, benefit snap. to them helping you because they're going to get a tip as well. So everybody's trying to get these things delivered. And yeah, it is an absolute magical time at a convention. I played it with Cole Worley and James Nathan, huge oh, trick-taking nice. fan. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we had an absolute blast playing this. It's also a spectacle. Like people were gathering around to watch us try to get these little oh, tiny dollhouse furniture things. I had up to and look in. this up. Yeah. And that was completely a super good time. Um, Pack and Weirs. Pack and Weirs by Caroline Schmiel. I mean, <laughs> Dimecker and then Pack and Weirs. That's natural progression, really. Totally. Yes. Totally. Wait, wait, which one came first? Right. Uh, Demarker, I think. Yeah. Because um, isn't Demarker like the first game that was in the BGG database? Maybe? Yeah, it's it's a, it's an older one. I don't know. <laughs> what was the first game in the BGG database? I don't I'm know. I'm going to look it up real quick. Let real me quick. see. Let me see. Because if I look up Demarker... It's from 1986, and it is, yep. Nice. I'm pretty sure it's number one. It's like the first game that was entered. I mean, that makes sense. (laughs) This is a classic, right? We all love Demarker. And then Pack and Weirs. If you get a chance to play Pack and Weirs, completely esoteric. You're never going to find this game. Like it, I I did pick it up after Heavy Con. It was really hard to get, though. This is not an easy game. You could make it. You just need dollhouse furniture. This is this is great. It's fantastic. I had never heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that leads me to another game at KeviCon that I played, which was a really good memory. Sounds like Demacher, but it's Demauer. Demauer? Demauer. (laughs) And this one's a game by Thomas Fackler. And Thomas Fackler is known for creating these tiny little games. They're in little cardboard boxes with just 
little print on labels on them and he makes like 50 and whenever I see one of his games, I pick it up immediately. Usually from my friend Joe Huber, who's also a game designer. He's designed some games with Rio Grande games, but usually he plays Joe. them. Yeah, <laughs> Joe's the best. And I usually pick him up from him. I don't care whatever he prices it at. I'm just like, just call me. Just give it. I just want it. Because <laughs> these are super cool little pet projects by Thomas um, Fackler. This one is a special edition of it. So it comes with these gates and um, walls and towers, right? So there's a gate, a tower, and these walls, and you're hiding them in your hand. And then whoever's the master builder picks one, puts it out. And what you're trying to do is make sure that you, no one else picks what you're picking because then you get to build. Um, you can also gotcha. put an empty hand out. And then if you're the only one in, with an empty hand, you get to choose what you build. There's oh. placement rules for those towers, gates, and wall pieces. Um, if somebody else does an empty hand and you do an empty hand, then they get to give you a piece. All with the goal of you're just trying to get these pieces out of your hand first. Okay. Right? Okay. And whenever somebody goes out, everybody else counts up the points of their pieces. Towers and gates are worth more than walls, right? So you get, you count those up and then play a few rounds, total the scores, whoever's lowest wins. This is again going to that theory of the mind, right? You're kind yeah. of, what are you, what am I going to choose? So what are you going to choose? That type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. Really love fun that. psychology in this game. Super quick, great for late, late night when you want to play another game, but you're really tired. Like you just, you just can't, can't maybe sit for a long roll teach because it's that it's a blast. Cool. That sounds cool. D Mauer. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Um, and the other new to me games would be ones that I played at the Gathering of Friends. One, I accidentally ga- joined a game of mini golf designer by Albin Nanti. Uh, this one's from Thematic Games. It's definitely thematic. And <laughs> I just saw some people sitting around. I didn't know they were playing a game. The game box wasn't on the table. I think somebody had gone to get it. And I just sat down and started talking to him and seen him in a year. <laughs> and then the game came back and they're like, oh, you're at the table. We're all playing this this golf ah, game. Love so it. So <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this is a game I'll like, but let's do it, right? Uh-huh. No, it's awesome. You you select these That's tiles. Cool. The tiles came come out. You see what the next row of tiles is going to be too. And you're trying to get tiles to make, lay out your golf course. You have to, you know, adjacency rules apply and you have to build out these tiles. You want to assign your golf little hole so that it's like hole one, hole two, and that they go into each other. Cause you know how it is. Like you make a hole in one, you don't want to walk all over to the other side of the golf course. You want (laughs) to go to the beginning of hole two. So there's things like that that are beneficial for scoring usual, you know, mini golf development rules apply. But then there's these two people (laughs) that are asking you to build this golf course and they have special rules. Like they maybe want the most people and there's like little people on some of the tiles or the most shrubbery or flowers or whatever it is. So you might be going for those two to get the most of those because that's going to be majority wins for those points. It sounds cool. So much fun. And I heard a rumor that Uh (laughs) they're actually going to release an expansion of some type that lets you play 
the course what, that you've built. And I'm like, yes, that's, <gasps> that's so cool. That's the only thing missing from this game is now is I want to play it. my yeah. golf course that I just built. And watching I love that theme. That's some, so great. Like I play with heavy gamers mostly and there were a bunch of heavy gamers at the table. I was surprised this is what they were playing, but they, they had a blast with it. And to watch some of them, their brain, they were so upset. Like if they couldn't get the tile they wanted and they're like, my golf course, no. Like, it was, it was just a joy. Yeah. So. I can't remember if it was you or someone else told me about this game at some point. It's probably uh, me. At the gathering of friends, what, I started what, going around telling everyone. Was Simon playing with you? Yes. Okay, it was Simon. You okay, <laughs> I was like, it. I was like, this is not the first time I've heard about this game being super fun. From okay, and that's awesome. It. I need Why to check you, this out. I need to check it out. You have to. It's so cute. It's an older game, 2020, I believe. Like, so it's just, but it's super cute. I thought it was an absolute fun time. Um, and let's see, the other game that I played at the Gathering of Friends would be uh, Flux, the board game. This isn't new. It's been out huh. for a decade. But oh, they have okay. a new compact edition that just came out. So I got to play that. There's oh. definitely more strategy in the board game version versus Flux the card game. Because uh, you have to move around on these tiles. And now you're trying to go to the location of the items on the goal card. But the goals can, like the goals always can change, right? You can change the goals, but there's a stack. So okay. you know if somebody gets that goal, what's going to be underneath? Maybe you strategize to be ready for that next goal. You also can change how many, like you're keeping track of actually, how many things that you're playing or doing or how many moves you're taking across the board with this peg gotcha. system that's on the board. I kind of like that because then you always remember. It's really clear. Like I'm drawing this many cards, I'm playing this many cards, and I'm moving this many spaces. Um and 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 just just so you know, I've yeah. actually never played Flux in my oh. gaming career. I, I I'm like I know it has like a million card decks and yes. it's kind of like a chaotic kind of game, but I've actually never played it before. So well, yeah. so yeah, so Flux <laughs> is just the game with ever changing rules, and there's it's gotcha a two minute teach. You just say okay, we're gonna play Flux. You you are gonna have three cards in your hand. You draw one card. You play one card, and then. You have new rules in your hand, and as you play those, it's going to increase how many cards you draw. It gotcha. May, or decrease, or and how many cards you play, and it's going to change the goal of the game, so even the win condition changes. But now with the board game, you move across these tiles, too, and because it's a modular board with these little square tiles, you can even use a move to move the tile. So ah. you can spin the tile, you can move it to the other side of the board, you can make it so things wrap around, right? So that it's kind of like the earth phenomenon. You go off one side and you come back the other. So that type of thing. So okay, it adds okay. like the strategy level to the card game. Like it, I really enjoyed it. Caveat, you know, I, where I do work with Looney Labs. I love those oh. people. They're the <laughs> nicest people in the entire world. So oh, I literally cool. do anything for them, but this this was my first time playing this game they've had out cool. for a decade, and I really I really liked it. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so this was this was hard for me. I guess Isn't it was it? hard, but it was also kind of easy because um, I played so like I discovered some really awesome games that I'd never tried uh, this year, 
And uh, the first one I'll just mention, I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before on this podcast, um, but it's RoboTrick. And this is a three-player only trick-taking game where you play with a fourth player that's a robot, that's an AI deck that has these rules. And it's just, this is one of those games, I tend to like trick avoidance games Mm. and just games that can be kind of punishing if you don't play your cards right. (laughs) And RoboTrick, I'm telling you, when... Like when you're playing with this robot, you're like looking at the card, you know, well, it depends on who leads, but as soon as somebody plays a lead card, you know exactly what the robot is going to play and the robot every round rotates who it's between. But if the robot wins the trick, everybody scores the card they played as negative points and then you only actually are scoring three cards at max as positive and then any other tricks you win are become negative points so it's just this like it's so like well designed i really hope that this game kind of gets some u.s uh distribution nice. because i think this is it's hard to find um yeah it's it's hard to find but it's 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 such a great game it's still been like of all the different trick-taking games that i played this year um, it's one of my favorites still this one in like schadenfreude. Mm. Um, but, uh, another game that I've talked, I've talked about, um, that I kind of got into after Gen Con is Nemesis. Um, I had never played Nemesis. I didn't know much about it. And you brought up the gathering. Like usually there are multiple people I hear that are like in Nemesis games at the gathering. And I'm like, always oh, been like a little curious, but also not really. But then for whatever reason, because just brains are weird and I somehow I got really fascinated with the idea of playing Nemesis, eventually played it. And I think I've played it about five times now. And it's just it's it's so great at delivering exactly what it's intended to deliver. And that's like such a great story. Like every game I've come out of, it has this these moments that are just like really like funny and just memorable and I love the intrigue that it's like semi-cooperative where it's like hey we all need to kind of get this ship to earth but you know we all have our own secret goals and my goal could be to be the only person alive (laughs) so there could be some potential backstabbing or not and it's like you don't know and I love that like excitement of not knowing if I could really trust these people that are like allegedly like working with me to, you know, for the greater good. But anyway, I, I love Nemesis and I'm excited to play the new one that's that's uh, that they just crowdfunded. And this one's by Adam Kropinski, right? Yes. I love that designer. He does. Such yes, great I'm things. pretty sure I didn't I didn't note down the designer and it's um, what is the publishing company called? Awaken Realms. Awaken Realms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's just and it, and the other reason is like this game um Matt my partner loves it. Like so anytime there's a game that resonates with him and makes him excited like this was a game probably the only game this year that we've played that he'll be like let's play Nemesis. You know, even when I'm not it. like I want to play a game. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there there are only a, a couple games that ever like. Well, generate there's a game that. in my top list that that's similar. You might it's okay, not the okay. same, but it's like if he like it's like one of those things. If you like Nemesis, then you I, might like I, this. I think I know what you're talking yeah, about, and so he, and, he and we both we both love that too. Okay. So. <laughs> I was like, it has the notes yes. of this, but yeah, Adam Kripinski, I think he's a great designer. He's coming out with that new one, Horror on the Orient Express. Um, that one just, it has tombs on the train. I just, I'm really wow. excited about that one too. That one's coming out next year. March is the Kickstarter for that one. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited about everything that Adam does, so yeah, and uh, did Adam also do um, what is the game where you're like uh, this war of mine? That's what I'm thinking of. I don't remember, but I also love that one. And that I, I know that was... he did a thing for Frostpunk, but I don't know. Okay, well, whoever did that, I love that game. Yeah, too. I mean, this war of mine is <laughs> that. That, absolutely that, dark and delicious yeah 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 um so anyway nemesis was a special one for me this year and then uh the third game i'll mention is keyforge which i just played for the first time uh, a little over a month ago and i have not stopped thinking about it i love like really? two player yeah i love like card dueling games like this and this one, like the fact that it's not just about me trying to reduce your life to zero and vice versa, we're trying to collect the resources we need to forge these keys. And yeah, it's just been like really exciting for me. And I've been like just getting so into it. So anyway, I had to put that on the list. But just to give a quick, very quick shout to a couple other games that resonated with me this year that I played for the first time, The Rich and the Good forget which episode of the podcast I talked about that, but it's this like really nice streamlined stock market game. Fantastic. Battlecrest, which is the button shy wallet game. Again, me with these two player games. Right. I, I, I love that. Like, and I love all the, the asymmetry in that game. Cerebria. I played for the first time this year, multiple times now. Love it. Like so such a cool theme. So well integrated. The art on that Beautiful. is so pretty too. The art, the production. Yeah. It's a banger. I, I love it. And uh, also I played Revive for the first time and I really like that. And I've been excited to kind of uh, revisit that one. So what about games? You know, obviously we can't play everything. No. But were there any games that like as we're closing out 2023 um, that you didn't get a chance to play yet that you really want to play at some point? Because something about it seemed cool. Always. Yeah. There's always these, <laughs> there's always a list of like these, you know, to be played games that you really want to get to. Sure. So Subtima by Robin uh, Hedges from, and it's from Mind Clash Games. Yes. This one was totally think thinker themer's fault because I saw them talking about <laughs> it and I was like, what is this? And it's about witches. You're running a witch I, I coven. It. Right. But you don't want to get caught by the witch hunters. So you got to keep down your suspicion. But working with other witches while it raises more suspicion is really beneficial and right. lets you do more powerful things. I love anything about witches. So yeah. that I mean, that's, that's great. The gist I got of it. And already I was like, I really want to play this. I have played it once. It's great. Ooh. It's great. And it's yeah. 
again, just like I was saying with Cerebria, like Mind Clash kind of just nails it with like really cool theme. Yes. Very well integrated with the mechanisms. The production is like off the charts. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? Definitely <laughs> that one. Um, so charcuterie, super late game. Oh. I saw this at PAX Unplugged. And I just thought it looked really, really cool. They were doing a great pre-order deal. And I was like, this looks amazing. Okay, first of all, I love charcuterie. So yes. yes, yes. And then I just liked how it looked. They gave me a demo and I was like, all right, I really want to at some point play this. And then I realized that one of the co-designers is Whitney Lorraine. Um, she co-designed it with Josh Camden. And Whitney Lorraine, this I think is her first one to be published. But she has a cool. number of different designs, and I've played some of her prototypes. And I, I think she's a really great up and coming designer. Oh, um, cool! She, yeah, I'm lucky enough that she's visited the Boston area and hung out with us here, come to game days. And I did not know because she is not super great about being like, "Hey, this project is getting made of mine." <laughs> so I did okay. not know. I actually saw it first and was already interested. And then I think oh. I actually told her about it, which is like not only marginally <laughs> embarrassing that I saw her post like, and I was like, "Oh, hey, you gotta check out this game." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at least she was like, "I'm glad you like that." Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so it worked out because I said I liked it at least, uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm excited to check out how that plays. Like, how am I making this charcuterie board? Yeah, yeah. I love that theme. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing at PAX Unplugged that I saw um, was they were doing two releases of games, uh, Rafter 5 uh, and Droll Poulter from Oink Games, right? So anytime Oink Games is like, we're doing two new releases of games, I'm like, all right, I want to see what these are. Yeah. And... I picked them up, honestly, just because it, you know, there are definitely oink games that are a miss for me, mm-hmm. but usually not. So it's always worth it to just grab Take them the when gamble. I see them. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like exactly that. I'm like, I'm willing <laughs> to play the slot machine with this and see if this is one that's going to hit for me. Rafter 5, you're a rafter, right? So now you have to collect planks and you have to make your raft bigger and then just hilarity ensues. Things are going to fall over and fall <laughs> down, but hopefully not on your turn, right? So ah. you got to make it tricky for the next player to go. I saw people playing it around Pax and Plug. They seem to be having a great time with it. So I'm excited to to get that one to the table since I do now own it. Now it's on my to-be-played <laughs> shelf. Like nice. That's its own thing. It's so leveled up. It's moved up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Drill Poulter, I really don't know a lot about other than the little snippet on the back. I got it because it had a ghost meeple. And I was like, <laughs> well, done. I Sold. want a ghost meeple. Sold. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So ghosts apparently appear from under your bed. And then you have lucky charms that, you know, you always have these lucky charms just for this moment in preparation. For a ghost to jump out from under your bed, <laughs> and you have to drop them on command in perfect order. I don't know what happens oh. if you don't. I, I imagine you get scared to death, or I don't know. But there was a ghost meeple, so I had to have it. <laughs> That's cool. So, so the games that I, um, or I'm, I'll just mention two of these, the games that are 2023 releases that I haven't played yet that I am uh, really excited to play. Uh, The first one is Too Many Bones Unbreakable, chip theory game. Um, I am such a big fan of Too Many Bones. It is 
like so ridiculous. I'm outraged with myself that I have not played this yet. <laughs> but I and think talk I'm about just, production I, quality. Oh like, yeah. yeah. Oh, chip theory crushes it. Oh, so yeah. I I think I just like build it up in my head that like I need a whole like day blocked mm. so I could like really oh, like I get, get into it yeah. and everything. So I I haven't gotten it to the table yet, but it's like I keep wanting to play it cuz I love too many bones so much. So I think I'm going to try to finally play it over the holidays. You're going to put it on the calendar, Candace. You're just going to be like, All right, I know. this is Lock-in unbreakable Sunday. day. Yes, this is unbreakable day. I, there's so many like new gear locks to try. Ugh, I'm so excited about it. I'm excited about it. I'm but excited the, for you. I want- <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate that. <laughs> Another game. So Dune Imperium is like, I love, I'm a huge fan of Dune Imperium, especially I, I played the Rise of Ix expansion with it. Uh, like months ago at this point, but like it was my first time playing it with the expansion after I played it probably a half a dozen times at least base game and just loved it. I love the feeling I get when I'm playing it. Like there's that victory point system that's like Twilight Imperium where you're racing to get to 10 points. Like there's just so much tension and every single point matters. And I love deck building and work placement also. So I've just, and just the Dune, even though the theme isn't as like nearly as thematic as the OG Dune board game, but I still like the Dune world and the story, the lore and everything. So Dune Imperium Uprising is another game that I'm super stoked to play very soon. Uh, it's designed by Paul Denon and uh, from Direwolf. And uh, nice. yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited to play that one. And then the other one that I was kind of thinking about is just Earthborn Rangers. Mm. I got my, I backed it. I got my copy. Um, but Keyforge has been the card game that I've been playing lately. Uh-huh. I play card games. <laughs> yeah, so it's on so, your to be played shelf. You just gotta yes, get it on the table. It's on my to be played shelf. It's it's here. You know, um, I'm very curious about it because I do like like cooperative card games like that and mm-hmm. Arkham Horror and stuff. And uh, the theme is really cool. But you know what, Jess? I think it's. I think we should start talking about these. Is it time? It's time. Oh, for- this, this is stressful. I'm not going to lie. It's stressful <laughs> coming up with these lists because I'm like, I mean, would I play this again yeah. in the future? Is this a game with staying power? Did I just like it this year? Yeah. It, there's so many factors into making these lists. I like that we both went with alliterations. I have like five favorites and you have your top 10. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That is great. Yeah. So I I probably, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're both probably people that play a lot of new games each year. Like you said, you're playing a lot of like prototypes um, with your line of work and everything, but yep. you're also playing new stuff on heavy cardboard and everything. Um, but I definitely play a lot of new games because I'm covering them either on this podcast or yeah. BGG News or just because I'm curious. Of course. <laughs> um, but this was definitely hard and I really appreciate I like what like people like Dan from Game Boy Geek and uh, like Thinker Themer did and other people that do these lists where they break it up and they're like, oh, these are my yeah. favorite top 10 small box games, top 10 heavy euros or whatever. Like that would have been much easier i think Uh, so i i was thinking about that i actually purposely tried to make the top five like different yes games because i was like well i don't want to do 
all worker placement euros. I want right, to make right. sure they're different. So yeah, so I tried to kind of set them apart since we weren't doing separate lists. I, yeah, I, yeah. And this and this was kind of like, you know, I'm I keep things casual. It's it's kind of flexible. So like my list is kind of based on games that I've played and I'm like most excited to play again. Um, in some cases, it's a, it's a game I played uh, quite a few times, and mm. I keep wanting to play it. Uh, in some cases, it's a game I might have only played once, but I like am just confident based on how I felt about that initial play that it has staying power. And then I also kind of went for variety, almost as if like, hey, these ten games that I picked, if for the next six months these are the only games yes. that I can play. Do I have enough to scratch all the itches? You yep, know? <laughs> that's exactly what I went for too. I wanted kind of breadth and I easily could have done 10, which we'll see when we come to like our honorable mentions, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of wanted to keep it breadth and I wanted it to be games that I actually see myself getting to the table yeah. again outside of 2023, right. not just games that hey, this was a great thing for 2023, but I'm probably never going to play Moving on. Again. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Well, with that all being said. Yes. What's Tons your of caveats. Number- <laughs> yeah. Tons of caveats. Yes. <laughs> what's your number five? All right. So this was tough for me. I left this as my number five um, because it's really super easy to get to the table. I've always had, I'm going to preface this just a little bit. I've always had really good luck. <laughs> with getting other people to play this game Um, or having people ask me to come play this game. Um, Part of that is probably because it is truly best at four players. You really need four players for this game. And it is La Famiglia, the Great Mafia Uh War, um, uh, from Fjordlandspiel. It's Maximilian Maria Thiel is the designer. And it can play two players. It is 2v2 or 1v1. But it really, it's it's best when you're doing it the 2v2. So, yeah, so you tend to be, if you're playing it at a convention, then you're looking for this exact player count. You want people who are going to be into the game because it really is dynamic where you're, you know, working against and with each other, right? So there's really, there's two phases. You're planning out what you're going to do. You need fighters and skills and secret orders that are going to get revealed in your second phase, which is the combat phase. And that's where you execute these orders from anything from fighting to bombs. And you're trying to take over regions on the board so that you become the next head of Sicily. You want to take over Sicily. So there's cooperative but like you, you definitely like you need to make sure that your side wins at the end. So I gotta try this one. It's fun. Um, not the teach can be a little long, but it's super intuitive once you're playing. It really isn't that hard. It's just telling everybody like these are the phases and this is what you need to build up and how, the order of things is important to understand. Um, and then even when you're doing the fighting back to that theory of mind, right? It's you're going to have three cards in your hand. Everybody has these same three cards. It's you're going to put them face down and then you're going to decide whether you're going to take the other person's card over to your side or they, and they have to decide if they're taking their mm, card to their side. Yeah. And then it's based on what card is it, right? Is it yeah. the card I want over here? Do I want you to have both? 
what do I want to have happen? So you kind of, yeah. What did you choose? What do I think you choose? And then if you think that I think that you're going to choose that, did you choose something? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I need to play this. Yeah. La Familia. La Familia. Yep. Cool. The Great Uh Mafia War. All right. All right. Yeah. I, I, I love 2v2 games. I mean, that's how, that's the only way I've played Cerebra at this point. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I enjoy, I need to do an episode at some point on like team games that aren't party games. Yes. Yeah. I like there, that thought. Write that down. That's <laughs> team games that I think I actually games. have it written down at some point after I played Guards of Atlantis too. I yeah. was like, Ooh, but anyways, this is a thing. It's an experience. Yes. Yeah. yes I love that experience. So I'm going to do my number 10 and my number nine yes. as a little sandwich here. And uh, my number 10 is a game that I, this is a game that I've only played one time and I just played very recently. It could have very well been a fresh play, um, but I put it on here, so I didn't put it as a fresh play. But it's Bloodstones, which is a new Martin Wallace game mm-hmm. by his publishing company, Wallace Designs. And it's a fantasy war game for one to six players featuring like six different slightly asymmetric factions. And you are playing with multi-use domino-shaped tiles, and each one is a like a unit, but you could also spend it. So they're they're multi-use. Yeah. So you can place it as a unit. You can use the dominoes to pay for units to d- deploy them. You can spend you can discard one to use it as movement points to move other units around the board sure and one of the things that's like really really cool about this game besides the fact that you're using uh the the tactile experience is really cool but instead of a game board you play on these like silk mats and each there are i think five maps in the board in the game and the art is gorgeous on them so you have a lot of gameplay packed into this box we played a four-player game it goes one to six so there's lots of like flexibility with how many people you're playing with which map you choose like adds a lot of like variability the different factions again i say slightly asymmetric because it's not like something like root where we're all playing completely different games like there's a lot of overlap with like oh if i have a cavalry unit it works the same as your cavalry unit but like i so was you know what like, other people are doing like it's yeah, yeah yeah but but there is there are some differences like i was playing as the dragons so i have these two dragons that can do some special things and you know i have some other special abilities so every 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 faction has their own little special thing to them nice. but Basically, you're trying to put these villages out on the board and kind of build up your forces and protect your villages because when you have to shuffle your deck of dominoes back into your bag, you're going to score points for each of your villages that are out on the table. So having villages out is a big source of your points, but you can also capture other people's villages and you also get victory points when you win battles against people. And I love games like this. I like, I really like how this feels like it has like kind of like that epic war gamey feel to it, but it's very um, intuitive once you like, it's not too complex to learn. I love these multi-use dominoes because it's like your like hand management or tile management is really, really interesting. Like, oh, do I want to put this out? 
Because if so, I need to discard two to pay for it. Well, which ones do I want to discard? Oh, I want to save this because this has a lot of movement points and I want to use that to move these people around. So there's like, has lots of really cool decisions. Again, the art and the components are like really, really cool. And uh, I kind of like randomly discovered this game earlier this year when I was doing an import order of trick-taking games from Tanuki Games. And I think I was trying to like get free shipping or something. So I was like, what else do they Add have? Something else. And I just like found this game. They were offering like Kickstarter versions of it. And so I bought it and my friend Jordan had backed it and he got his copy and that's what we played. But my copy comes tomorrow. Um, but this game just seems like something that like, you know, it's going to have a lot of staying power because there's so much variability with the maps and the different combinations of factions that you play and it's easy to pack up and travel with and everything nice and then my number nine so that was bloodstones my number yeah and and that was on game found right i think that was like yeah end of last year i remember i did play the prototype so oh cool okay is that your kind of game or or not particularly my kind of game but i did like how the dominoes worked and i mean like you said having those different maps Um, I think at the time of the prototype, there was just one, but I liked the idea that like there were going to be all these different maps that you were going to get. Yeah, the terrain is. Yeah, the terrain is so different on all of them. And it just like it presents like really like different challenges. Right. For how you play the game. Yeah. Which I which I like to have like all that variability in a game. Exactly. Because you can get it to the table again. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's like. And my friend Jordan played a twice two player and he was just saying like the four player game was like completely played out completely differently. And even the two two player games, because they played with different combinations. Yeah, that's what I heard, too, is that like, you know, often games have like a best and that's really their best. It's like the best of three players. You only play that four player. Yeah. But no, I've heard this is like great from two all, all the way to four. So. I, I see that. And that's that's why it just kind of slid in on the list this week. I can um, see that. But yeah, but I, I really dig it. And it's kind of that's that's my jam. We were playing like the Game of Thrones soundtrack while we were playing. <laughs> yes. Perfect. <laughs> and then my number nine is Land and Freedom. And this is by Alex Knight and Blue Panther. And I already talked about this one uh, in a little more depth on episode 30 of the BGG podcast. Um, but this is just an awesome semi-cooperative three-player card-driven game um and it has it does a card-driven game uniquely with like where you build your tableau you're making a little engine of having icons that synergize but i just love that tension of hey we all need to take care of fascism together but i want to win i want to make sure i have the initiative yeah and it's just like really really cool and i just love like great three player games like that that have the you know the the interactions between the three players. Yeah, so you and played I could, this one. I have played this one. This one would have made my list. This would be my honorable oh, nice. mention that definitely would have been on my list. And yeah, I love that it's like anarchists, communists, and moderates, right? And so yes, yep, you're doing your own thing, but you have to beat the fascists. And then, right. um, I like that you basically if you're in charge of the government, you get to add your tokens into the glory bag, right? Yeah. And so you can mitigate that by having control of the glory bag because that's going to be, then you're going to draw those out. Yeah, for your scoring, yeah. Exactly, unless the fascists win, in which case, well, glory doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
but yeah, it, it's it's such a cool game. It's such a cool game. So yeah. well done. So that was Land and Freedom, my number nine. Jess, we're on to your number four. So my number four, this is the one that I was mentioning to you. Might be something that's up your alley. If you like Nemesis, then you might like Stationfall. I love Stationfall. Right? Spoiler alert. I do love it. <laughs> so Stationfall is by Matt Eklund um, from Ion Game Design. One to nine players. That is not something you list as a player count very often. <laughs> um, I do think it's best right in the middle there, like around a five-player game. But it's also awesome at nine players if you have experienced players playing it. Or right. people who are just ready to dive into the crazy because it, yeah. it gets crazy <laughs> at nine players. But you are a dozen or so random. I think it's there's humans, there's robots, there's... Chimp. Chimp, anything, chimp. <laughs> all of these things. Yes, Astro Chimp. And you're turned loose on this space station that, of course, is going to be incinerated when it comes back into Earth's atmosphere. So you have this time track of like, okay, we're going to incinerate. And until then, you have these hidden identity and agenda that goes wrong with your identity that you need to complete. So timing is key here. And at mm. every turn, you get to decide, am I going to reveal who I am and then take control of my character? And when I say take control, because if you are not revealed, then other people can move you and do things <laughs> yeah. with you and use your powers. And that's just crazy. Like, you're watching yeah. yourself move across the board and you're like, I don't want to be over there. Like, <laughs> but you can't say anything because the timing's not right. <laughs> right. You don't want to reveal yet because you need to use somebody else's power to go over here because they're in the yep. right location for this other thing you need to turn on or turn off or explode or whatever it is. Launch. So, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I great. do like, I like the artwork of it. I like the space station and how you move around that and up and into different rooms. I like the conversations that happen around the yeah. table as you're doing this and you're like, I'm going to activate this in this room. And people are like, no. uh, yeah, like, this so. is this is one that I was referring to also when I was thinking about games that came out earlier this year and um, it didn't make my list, but I do love it. It's it's definitely an honorable mention for me because I've had. I think I've played it about three or four times and every single time it's been a hoot. I love the storytelling and I it's yeah, it's it scratches and a similar itch to Nemesis, but in a very different way. Very different way, yes. Yeah. But yeah. but again, that kind of if you like, then you might like because there's right. that overlap to the feeling you get playing this game. And the rules are pretty simple, but I will say the setup takes a lot because you're going to have to put all those characters out and they may have different items. Yeah. Once you're used to that, it's not hard. Like there's icons for everything across the game. But when you're first looking for those or like the first time you set it up, I think you do have that little bit of a like, okay, wow, this is a lot to set up. But once you've done yeah, that, it gets easier. It does get easier. And I love that just no play is the same. There's no way it yeah. can be the same. Yeah. People are going to play it out differently, do different things. You know, the characters are going to be different in the game because there's so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's it's on my shelf. No, it's on my sh It's great. Station but Falls. Awesome. This is another one I have to caveat. I um, volunteer help with Ion Game Design on things. So they are a publisher that I uh, work with Portland. as well. So, but And that's actually given me the opportunity to not only play this a lot, 
but watch people play it a lot. And I can tell you, it's actually even fun to watch people play. (laughs) I love games like that where, yeah, where you don't even mind sitting out because it's so entertaining seeing the interactions of the people who are playing. Totally happy to (laughs) to just run a game and do that setup for them super fast and then help them with things because it's a blast to see their interactions and their chagrin because at the beginning you have so much time and you're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and this and this and then all of a sudden you're like two more turns no (laughs) yeah yeah it's (laughs) so that's station fall it's a banger all right so my number eight and my number seven are coming up so my number eight is even fall you like witch games i don't know if you've tried this yet not uh this is designed by stefano de silvio and it's published by dlp um, and this is basically, it's a unique, like, tableau builder with a little worker placement and factions that can be played asymmetrically. Like, you don't have to play them on the asymmetric side. But there are lots of really fun card combos. And the way you manage your tableau is interesting because there are um, two tiers to your tableau. You have your outer circle and then you have your inner circle. And you're going to be playing these ritual cards on top of places of power. And while the cards are at the top in your outer circle, they will generate resources when you harvest. But in order for them to score victory points at the end, you need to then transfer them down into your inner circle. Also, when they're in your inner circle, you have two different types of workers you can place in this game. And your elders can only be placed on, uh, like, so some of the cards when you that you play give you worker placement spaces, personal spaces, mm-hmm. but you can't place your elders on them until you you transfer it down to your inner circle. But again, now we can't get resources from that, but I'm giving myself the benefit. So there's a whole thing of managing your cards, when to bring things down versus leaving them up. And um, there's also a component at the end of the each round where you have this like battle phase um, where you're competing to get these little tokens that kind of boost your end game scoring. I've played it twice so far. And every time I play it, I've had a blast and I just want to like play it again. So, um, uh, you know, I like card games. I like worker placement. I like witch theme games. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so this one has like a lot going on that I have been enjoying and I keep wanting to come back to it. Um, so that's my number eight, Evenfall. And my number seven is Kutnohora. Uh, This is probably no surprise if anybody has listened to any of the episodes of this podcast since, uh, I guess, since I got back from Essen. Yeah. But this is a new CGE game uh, designed by Andre Bistron, Petra Koslava, and Pavel Jarosh. And it's just an awesome, unique city-building economic Euro game Mm. with, like, a lot of, like, really interesting uh, player interaction from the dynamic supply and demand system that just like keeps you on your toes. Like you have to be prepared for any situation. I love how games always feel so different depending on, you know, which buildings show up first, what people start building, which, which guild am I associated with? This is a game that like I keep, I just keep coming back to. And every time I play it, it's another one that just excites me. I feel like the scoring is pretty tight for it. So, um, yeah, so Kutnahora is my number seven. So I think we're jumping back to you for your number three, Jess. Yes, back to my number three. So (laughs) 
Hollyoak is my number three. And as I was saying, I was trying to make sure that there was kind of a breadth of games, not just all the same type of games. Um, And I do try to make sure I'm playing a whole bunch of different games so I don't kind of get in that rut of like, but this is the game I like. I'm just going (laughs) to play these. So Hollyoak is actually a trick taker. It's by Tom Lehman. 1846 designer, right? Like this. Oh, I remember hearing about this. Yes. I haven't played it. It's from (gasps) Rio Grande Games and it's three to five players. I think it's best if you max this one out. You don't have to. You definitely can play it three, four, and five. I personally just am like, let's max this. Let's get five people in here. (laughs) Um, So it's about the seasons, Hollyoak. It's the seasons rule. You must cover, uh, sorry, you must follow the current season if you can but if you can't then you can play any card if you play the next season after the current season then the season changes right so you can throw a card by playing something that's not the next season if you want to slough off but if you play the next season you just changed what trump is so yeah it's you don't even know if you're starting, if that's going to be Trump at the end, because it may change and go to the next season. And it could it. happen multiple times. I love it times. already. Then the next person can't go. Remember, you can't, you can't have the current season, but if you don't, then you can move into that next season. And now you are going to take that trick. So scoring, really simple. You're going to score the kings. There's Holly and Oak King cards that are worth one or two points each. So again, reasons you may want to take that trick, or maybe it's a dud of a trick. You don't want to take it, that type of thing. Um, But then there's also no trick point awarding. So if you take Mm. no tricks mm -hmm, in in a, it's eight, five, or three points in a three, four, or five player game respectively. Okay. So that Mm. can be big. And it does lower the point scoring for that if it's a five-player game, because there's more opportunity to take no tricks, obviously. But three points is still big when the kings are only worth one or two. And it's just fun to try. We talked about this, the no trick taking. It's fun to try to not take the trick yeah, and gamble (laughs) with that. Um, So I love going for the no trick scoring. um, And the mid-trick chump changes, just they mess with you. Because the seasons can change so fast. If you don't, if the next person doesn't have the season, you're all of a sudden in summer and then fall, and you're like, "No, I needed that. I put the king down." And yeah, I need to play this. Yeah, I need to play this. Great. I yeah, I remember reading Tom's uh, designer diary Mm -hmm. on this, and I didn't even realize it came out. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm picking this it one up. It did come out. Rio Grande's got it. Um, and cool. I mean, trick takers are all the rage, but this one does feel unique to me amongst awesome. the new ones and even some of the favorites out there. I definitely see myself continuing to play this. It's just such a simple rules teach. I mean, you could literally play it right now. You'd have no problem. There's no further explanation needed. Uh, I, I'm, if it's I great. had it here, I would play it right now. <laughs> I would just hit stop on the recording and play Pause, it. play a game, come back. Awesome. So that's Holly Oak. I'm going to definitely be picking that up. Um, all right. My number six is Sky Team uh, by Luke Ramon and Scorpion Mask and Hachette. And this game, uh, if I were to name a game that I think has probably been mentioned, not just by me, but like other people have been 
guest co-host on this podcast, I think Sky Team came up the most this year. For sure. Uh, so I've I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm not alone in my love for yeah. it, but it is a it just an awesome two-player limited communication cooperative game with a unique theme that's just like so well done. You know, you're one one player is a pilot, the other is the co-pilot. You're working together to land planes. And it's the, you know, you're placing dice. So you each have your own stash of dice that you roll behind a screen and you're playing them to do things to successfully land planes. And the game comes with like all these different modules and different airports that kind of change up the rules. So there's like so much in the game. And I've only played like, I've only played with one of the modules before. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, I'm usually playing with like new people. So I haven't gone deep with it, but I still just like You're just love playing that one that. over and over. Yeah, I, and, I, and I love it. Yeah. So so that is my number six I have, Sky Team. Did I have you? played that one. I get to play that at the gathering. Oh, okay. I was gonna, okay. Oh, nice. This is one of those things where I I think it was that I need to try different scenarios because the first scenario I think was just too easy for me. Oh, uh, okay. Because yeah. we, or us, I should say, we played it and just, it was no Nailed problem. it. We had no issue. We landed it. We're like talking. We're like, well, clearly we could just land planes now because we landed this no issue. You need to play with the gas module then. The yeah, fuel. I think I, I think it needed to be heavier because that is that's a thing I have to watch. Like if I win something right away, I tend to be like, oh, eh, yeah. I win. I no, want I get a, that. Yeah. A challenge. So I would have to go back and make sure I try like a really hard. So that, because then if yeah, I try a you game. you want to be challenged. Yes. Because if I play a game and lose terribly, then I'm like, I must conquer it. I must yeah. play it again. Yeah. I think the challenges with me have come with like whoever I'm playing with. Yeah. And sometimes, especially with new people, sometimes like, you know, we have to, there are certain spaces where we have, we both have to place a die yes. every round. So it's like, there's like some tension of like, Oh, that I hope they have a low too. number to put a high number. So you might have gotten a little lucky. No, too. it actually could be who you're playing with, right? So Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I'm playing with Edward and like he just we I think got <laughs> each other. We're like, I need yeah. to So we were very easy to be Efficient. like, that's the clear choice, that's the clear choice, that's a clear and just like cool went through this. But if I was playing with somebody who didn't get me we might yeah. be like oh what are you doing yeah yeah so that that definitely and also i do think that the some of the modules will give it that spice you're looking for yeah because like because with the fuel you have to put a die if you don't put a die on the fuel you're gonna lose six levels of fuel yes. yeah so you you're like okay well now one of my four dice is, is going definitely there. going there because we cannot let you know run out of fuel or we no. lose the game so that adds just like another um, tension point that makes it like spicier. All right, you got and it's me. I'm like going to really revisit easy. it. I'm going to have to play it again. <laughs> cool. Yes, I convinced you. <laughs> uh, so that's Sky Team. And then my number five is Border Reavers, which is uh, a GMT game uh, designed by Ed Beach, who's the designer of Here I Stand. And this is a game I talked about on episode 30 as well. Um, this game just feels so unique to me. It's like this hybrid of card drafting, got some like Euro resource management feels, but it also has some war game elements. And like, that's, that's my jam, you know? Yes, and yes. in this game, like every, every player is a family. It's set, it's set in the 16th century in the midst of the raids and battles that were happening along the border of England and Scotland. And it's just, like I started reading a book on this history because I'm like, this is like really fascinating stuff. And I think 
that's what inspired Ed to design this. He, he read a book and he's like, whoa. And I feel like even not having finished reading the book yet, it just like it feels so thematic, you know, like all the mechanisms tie in so well, like the importance of livestock. Um, so this is a GM, probably the only GMT game you'll ever find that has sheep like tokens, like it's a, nice like a box. freaking Uber Rosenberg game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's got like you, you're dealing with family feuds and capturing other opponents, reavers. Meanwhile, you're trying to get your, you want your family to be the most notorious in all these different areas called marches. There's just like a lot of really interesting card play. I love what's going on. We're, and they're we're stealing talking. your sheep. They're stealing yeah. them. I have to protect my sheep. Oh, <laughs> I'm in. No, this sounds absolutely it's great. Really, it's really cool and like really different. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of saying I like the mind games and intrigue and games yeah. and stuff. And this one has like there's a certain phase where everybody has to play a card face down. And then we like you're basically saying where you're going to be kind of like doing either your rating or battling or whatever you're doing for that round. And yeah. depending on which cards people play, I think that was impacting turn order or something or another. I don't know. It's just like, it's really cool. And it's not really like anything else I've played. Um, yeah, I so, haven't played this yet. I'm in now. I want to, I yeah, definitely want to play you, this. You guys should, you guys should definitely check it out. Yeah. I mean, even just looking at the cover, I want this as a poster on my wall. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. So that's my number five. That's Border Reavers, and I guess we're up to your number two. You are up to my number two. This is what happens when you do like fave five <laughs> and a quickly top ten. Here. So, so horseless carriage is my number two. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this it's designed by Yoren Doman, uh, and uh, Yoris uh, Wersinga. This is from Spalotter Spellin. Three to five players, probably best at four. Um, and the theme's just amazing. I love the intro to this game. It's so tongue in cheek <laughs> about the invention of the automobile and yeah. just how kind of insane it was that we're inventing automobiles without any real idea of what it needs to work well and be safe. Yeah. And how about that? <laughs> like, are we levers or pedals to steer? Sure. A wheel to accelerate? Why not? I mean, who needs brakes? How do we clear the windshield in the rain? I don't do we even have a windshield? Like this yeah. is this the craziness of the things that were being thrown out there, I think, is a really fun thing to dive into, right? So we're an aspiring industrialists. We're trying to figure out what features people are going to buy. Like, what do they want in these crazy machines, um, these horseless carriages? So it has comedy at the same time you're playing yeah. this, like, really deep game where you have to advance technologies and the turn order matters, really, really matters. Like, that's an important role in the game. Uh, so that you can access even more technologies that are potentially unlocked by other players. So yeah. it gets into that, you know, what are you doing and can I utilize that? And should I go first so that I can then open these um, up and use those technologies that I maybe haven't gotten to yet, haven't moved up that track yet? Such an awesome brain burner. It one. is. It is. <laughs> and then that's not even bringing into fact the Tetris style issue of your factory. Oh right? my goodness. That part it, breaks my brain. Yeah, it's mine too. <laughs> oh, it's like pipeline breaks my brain. Like to uh, now I'm setting this up and what am I going to need? 
and great, your factory, I think there's like, in the beginning, you're like, well, my factory gets bigger as the game goes on. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's not fine. <laughs> it is totally not fine. There is not enough space. You have to yeah. leave room for your loading dock and you can't block it. You got to put your car dealership in there. It has to fit somewhere so that you can sell cars and you want to make it bigger, but where's the room? Like it's, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. absolutely kills you. And it's, it's just both painful and lovely at the same time. <laughs> I I agree. And yes, horseless carriage is on my honorable mentions list. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, it is like so good. I've only played it twice and it's been a little bit. It's been a hard one to get to the table for me. Yeah. But I think the reason I didn't put it on this list, even though I think it's really awesome and I really want to like get better at it and explore it more is because The Great Zimbabwe is my favorite splatter game and sure. I don't play that enough. And I feel like I, I, every time I think about playing a splatter, I want to play The Great Zimbabwe. And I feel like that's going to like be the next one that I like dive deep with. And at some I point I'm going to get back. You hear and me? And then okay. you'll come back. I hear you because it's like yeah. Scout and Dilt like you talked about before. You yes. Made- you want to stick with this, you like so you're going to do Great yeah. Zimbabwe, but eventually, yeah, I'm then be you like, can I build some horses carriages. Yeah, because no, because I think it's amazing. I think it is a like such a fantastic. They game. do such a good job. I mean, they really deep dive in their designs. It's this is not a quickly put together game. Right, there's a lot of work putting into a lot of plays put into it, and you can really see that in the design yes. of their games and. A heavy game like this, it can have a high barrier to entry. So I like that they included the introductory rules. Did you play with the introductory rules or the regular? Um, I don't remember. And actually, the they first recommended. I, okay, the the first time I played this was actually with Urine at the gathering, okay. uh, and um, so I don't remember how we did that. And the second time was before I got my copy. Someone else had it. And yeah. he did the teach. So I don't really remember actually. But I so I just like that that exists, there. that there's yeah. like the introductory way to start out until you're more experienced. And I think a game like this can potentially have an experience differential, right? You oh, have played yeah. it so many times, you know that you're not gonna have enough space, you know like some tricks and how to work with the technologies a little better that maybe in a first play people aren't gonna know. Yeah. So if you're doing that introductory setup then it kind of brings that down a little bit so that folks aren't having, like there's less to grok in your first play and then add things in later. I just like when a designer thinks of these things and offers that because anything- Yeah, you have a better experience. Yes, and anything that lowers that barrier to entry to these games is a good thing. Um, Yes. And sure, if you don't need that, then don't play it. You don't have to. It's just there as an option um, and get in, but it's, it's a good option. All right. Horseless carriage. Great pick. Great pick. So for my number four, we're talking about trick avoidance. Uh, I have Rebel Princess. Yes. Which. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rebel (laughs) Rebel Princess has been my jam. I think I've played it about uh, eight times now and I've taught it to a lot of people. It it has just been. So this is by um, Daniel Byrne, Jose Gerardo Guerrero, Kevin Pilas. Terso Virgos, and it's published by Zombie Paella. And this is a game I've talked about before. I don't remember exactly what episode, but you're everybody's playing as a different princess, and you're trying to avoid marriage proposals. 
and there's a prince suit of cards. One of the suits is princes that each have a marriage proposal. So you don't want to win prince cards ever. Mm -mm. On top of that, there's a pet suit. And in the pet suits, there is an enchanted frog that has five proposals on no! it. So you never, you I never want, want that frog. No proposals. I <laughs> uh, can't have both in this no, game. No. <laughs> or actually, you have to have both the frog and the proposals. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this is, again, I love trick avoidance games. Um, this game has all these different round cards, which change up the rules of the round. So every game you play has like different combinations because I think the deck of round cards is like 20, there might be like 25 of them or something. And you play with five each game. So you have a different combination and they just, they just change up the rules of the game. It could be something like, Hey, when you get your hand, your cards dealt to you, you know, pass one card to the right and then separate your deck in half put half aside, play the first half, then pass the second half to your neighbor on the left, and then you play that. And all this time, you're trying to avoid winning princes and winning that, you're trying to avoid that frog. And it's just amazing. Yes. So wait, have you played this? No. Or not yet? I just, oh. I, I love it. This is great. Yeah. yeah. And all the princesses have their own powers too. So it's just, it's just love so it. fun. I've played it at every player count. Uh, I really, really enjoy it. So that's my number four, Rebel Princess. My number three is probably no surprise to people who know me. Great Western Trail is one of my favorite games. So I, of course, have Great Western Trail New Zealand on here. It's an Alexander Pfister game from Igert Spiel. And um, I just, I love this new version of it. I'm not prepared to say that New Zealand is my favorite version of Great Western Trail. I don't know yet. But I really like it. I love the look of it too. Just, I mean, there's sheep. You know, having sheep cards. Yeah. <laughs> I got two sheep games on my uh, list here. But yeah, like the, the Pathfinder track you have where you're unlocking bonuses, the, the new choices you have with deck building. Uh, and like even like the fact that like midway through each game, you flip half of the neutral buildings over and they have like kind of a different effect. You know, it's just, it's like, I I just, I have never played enough great western trail for how much i love it and i think all three games are different like they have a different feel to them though they still all feel great western trail and it's just again one of my favorite games and i love this new version so my number three is great western trail new zealand fantastic <laughs> all right that brings me to my number one yeah drum roll i don't know i get to talk about my number one um this one was not hard for me at all. I knew what, what my number one was going to be the whole time. And I think that's good. <laughs> me that's, too. I knew. <laughs> that's a good year. If you know, you're like, this This game was far yeah. and above. Um, and it's Hegemony. So Ooh, buy Hegemonic nice. Project Games, uh, Vangelis uh, Bajiotakis, and Varnavas uh, Timotho. So this game, I mean... How can an asymmetric political economic card driven board game be fun? I just, <laughs> and again, we talked about not every game has to be fun, but this fun, one I right. actually enjoy. Like yeah. I do, I would assign fun to this as a game. Um, I mean, you're playing as the working class, the middle class, the capital class, and the state itself. And I do think it plays best at four players when you're playing with all of those. 
can play it at two players and three players, but I, I think it really does shine when you can get people to the table and play everything. Um, because everything in the state is a mess, right? We have to fix it. We have to fix it for our class group anyway, because who cares about the rest of them? But <laughs> we want to make things better. So if they're the worker class, then you control the workers. If right. you're the capitalist class, you control the companies. And the middle class is my favorite because it combines elements from both the working class and the capitalist. Um, it has workers who can go to work in the capitalist companies and you can build smaller companies of its own. So that's yeah. the sweet spot for me. I definitely think if you've only played the others, you might have a different view of this game. But I really, really enjoyed playing the middle class and then branching out to check out the other classes. Um, and and I think that, but I do think that might have skewed, like that definitely helped, I think, shine gotcha. this game for me. Um, and then the state has to keep everyone happy with benefits, subsidies, but it still needs to make money, right? And not go too yeah. far into debt. So it's going to have taxes, make money, but still kind of distribute some of that back out to everybody in the state. Um, the voting is super interesting in this. You vote oh, with your yeah. influence, right? And this is key to impacting the policies, whether it's your taxes, the labor market, foreign trade. I mean, how many times get out the vote? Like voting is super important. <laughs> and mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. game absolutely <laughs> ties that in and is, is bringing that into the theme. And I feel like you do sit there. It's an educational game where while you're playing, you're kind of thinking about the real world implications of this or where you've yes. seen this in the real world. And I really like that. It, teaches you something while you play what you think yeah they actually had academics like they put actual academic principles and checked them and made sure that it was yeah. working appropriately in the game so that it imitated the real world and i think that's just a level again a passion project to make yeah. this the experience that they wanted it to be and and truly it's an experience when you watch your friends play as the other classes and like squash your dreams and well, it's unique. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you play it, you're like, really? Why? Fine. Yeah. And and that, that the the voting, uh, like that element kind of always reminds me of the agenda phase in uh, Twilight Imperium. Yeah. Which like, I, I really like that. And you're actually, I just haven't played it in a while, but I love hegemony. It's another honorable mention. I'm not just copying off you, but I promise it's on my honorable mention list. <laughs> And I'm actually like, I questioned a lot if I was going to put it on here. The reason it didn't make it on is probably because I haven't played it recently, mainly because as you talk about things, I'm remembering how much I like love it. And I think it's such an impressive design. Um, my play of it took, my one play of it took a very long time. So mm. I was thinking about that a little bit. And I think it was the group that I was playing with a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and I still like really, really enjoyed it, but I'm like, how often is that going to get played if it ends up being like, I think we were at like five and a half, six hours Ooh, to that's play. Long. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well at that point, do I play an 18XX or do I play Twilight Imperium? You know, I don't know, but I do like love that it's a card driven economic game with like so much asymmetry that's so like interwoven well. Yeah. And I... I backed it. I have it. And it's on my shelf of opportunity to play. Um, I'm actually planning to like, I do have a game scheduled to play because nice. uh, uh, 
John Clare, the, the game designer, John yeah. Clare, he's been like asking me to play. So I was like, okay, so we set a date. So I will be playing it soon. So as I said, this whole list is as of today. Right. When you play <laughs> it, might it be again different with next John week. Declare, yeah. You might be like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, this is actually my number one. Right. I, it's, it, it won't it's be my game. number one though, but uh, but I do like think it's like such a great game and it sh- sort of should be on my list. <laughs> So I are you ready? You. See, we're convincing <laughs> each other here. Nice. Are you ready to hear my number yes. two and my number one? Number two and number one. Okay. What do you got? Okay, so my number two um, is Keyforge Winds of Exchange. <laughs> surprise, surprise. This is the latest, the set that just came out uh, a couple months ago. Um, again, Keyforge, I gushed about it. I will continue gushing about it until I'm done gushing about it. But <laughs> uh, it's Richard Garfield and it's published by... Um, Ghost Galaxy. And yeah, I just I just have a thing for um, card games. And this one, I don't know, this one just like brought something different out in me. And I think I was hearing someone talk about it once and was saying like, yeah, this is a game that of these kind of two player card dueling games um, that's uh, sort of in a space of like magic or something like that. Yeah. Like this could be the one that's way more appealing to a lot of like Euro gamers and people who play more tabletop games, because again, there's something different about that element of like, I'm collecting this resource to forge these keys. And just like the hand management of not having a cost on your cards, but having these different houses that kind of like, it's so exciting to see how different houses work together and the cards that you have in your deck. It's so good. But like the thing with Winds of Exchange, it introduced token creatures. So every set kind of introduces a new um, element or mechanism to it. And this creates token creatures where you're playing cards from your, the top of your deck face down. And so it's like, you're losing that card temporarily and it has a different effect. So it's like just really neat to play around with that. But yeah, I'm just, I'm really hype about this game. And uh, again, I like it's that. been, I love how excited you are. About yeah, it. it's awesome. been like over a month, and literally every day I'm wanting to play this game, and I don't get to every day, and it breaks my heart <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so that is my number two, um, just because I think it has a lot of staying power. There's so much variability with the different decks that you play, and I've even played some of the um, the co-op Keyboard Adventure co-op. Um, scenarios, which is cool too, that they exist. But my number one is Age of Innovation. (laughs) Age of Innovation. Oh my goodness. Uh, Helga Ostertag, and it's published by Capstone Games and Fjordland Spiel. And, you know, this is the re-implementation of Terra Mystica, which is like it, this, this game kind of made me rediscover how much I love Terra Mystica and, and got me to rediscover Gaia Project. These are all top tier heavy Euro games for me. Mm-hmm. I like, I just love the player interaction. I love how deep the strategy is, how much replayability there is, like how each game, each round is kind of like its own puzzle. How can I try to take advantage of these points and improve my board position? Uh, 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 I don't know. I just like, I love it so, so much. And it's just like, when I think about trimming my collection down and like the, like age of it, probably all three of them, age of innovation, Terra Mystica and Gaia project are going to be like 
uh, whatever if I say I'm only keeping 20 heavy Euro games like they're They're for sure really even with the overlap you're like nope I need oh okay maybe if I was like cutting I would have to see what other games (laughs) I'm considering but but Age of Innovation and Guy Project for sure okay I don't know if I would you know for now I want to keep Terra Mystica also (laughs) yeah but uh well luckily you don't have this problem you don't have to go down to 20 you're okay (laughs) Yeah, this this was on my honorable mention as well. Okay, okay I love cool. this game. I hesitated. The only reason I didn't have it really that high in my my top games is the experience differential. I feel like uh. this game, Terra Mystica as well, Gaia Projects as well, has a really big experience differential. So that if you're if you're playing with folks that are really have played hundreds of times, there you're just not gonna know what they know and you're not yeah. gonna be able to compete against that now that's, that said that's true, yeah. i'm sure that's influenced by the fact that i am generally playing this with folks that i mean have hundreds if not thousands Sharks. of plays of terra mystica like they're literally playing games at game day while playing terra mystica on an app like <laughs> yes. that's how much i know they the play type it. yeah so that's I, that's the caveat there that's a you know that it there's that kind of group dependence yes. and for me i just i'm never gonna be at their level when they play it that frequently yeah <laughs> I catch and, up. and i will just to um sort of uh go on the opposite end of that i'll say i agree with you like yeah there's definitely like a skill to yeah. playing these games but i think with the way age of innovation mixes the combination of factions um, it it's help. gonna like challenge people a little bit, even even if they do have experience. For sure. And my very first play of Age of Innovation, I would say I was playing. I was playing with all people who probably had way more uh, Terra Mystica and Gaia Project experience yeah. than me. But I and like on my very first pl- p- after I placed my first two buildings, I was like, I've lost the game. <laughs> I got no neighbors. <laughs> I've lost the game. But I ended up pulling it together, finding Good. some synergies. With my um, innovation tiles and uh, competencies, I guess. And and I ended up winning the game. Nice. And, like, that's what, like, kind of excites yeah. me about this game is that, like, even when I feel like, crap, I'm in a rut, yeah. I pull. And I knew what you mean. I do have, like, a couple uh, people that I play with occasionally who are sharks and, like, who were, who are those people who played hundreds of games of Terra Mystica. And I'm definitely not. But like I played a game with one of those guys yeah. in it, and he and I was like not far behind him. Yeah. So like and he thought he was going to like completely I definitely us. you're right with Age of Innovation. It wasn't as present as yeah. with the other two. So that's good because it's always like mixing it up and yep. kind of keeping it on your toes. But yep. yeah, I, I totally understand that of like, yeah. And maybe I'm just also not playing with people. Mo- mostly not playing with people that are that level because, yeah, that would not be fun if it's like. Every single time. Yeah, and that's just, like, just oh. what I wore. I loved yeah. it. I love yeah. the game. It's just what I wore. That's always a thing with me. If there's a big experience differential, I would just worry about, okay, who are we playing this with? And are they going to yeah. end up leaving the table being like, wow, I should not play games. <laughs> 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 right. That is not a good you feeling. You don't want them to feel that, right? Yeah. You don't want anybody walking away thinking that. So Yeah. And like, yeah, I just always end up feeling... Like, no matter how weak of a player I feel like I am at these games, like, I feel like there's hope. Right. And that's what excites me. And I'm like, I can try to figure something out. And then, you know, you have some moments. But yeah, I just, I just love Age of Innovation and I love Gaia Project so much too. I kind of, 
rediscovered that this year. For sure. Well, great. I think we both had great lists because like literally almost all of your games except Hollyoke, which I didn't even realize was out, um, were honorable mentions for me. And I haven't tried La Familia yet either, but the other ones were definitely honorable mentions. And if you want, we can just like kind of mention briefly our honorable mentions. We don't need to like go into what they're about, but just shoot them off. So go ahead, you go first. Sure. So Nucleum is one of my honorable mentions. I was in for this when I found out that David Turtsey uh, co-designed this with uh, Simone Luciani. And when I heard that it was coming out from Borden Dice and that he said that it was inspired by Brass and Barrage, I was like, oh, I have to play this, right? Sold. Brass and Barrage, I knew I was going to like it. So I'm just going to chime in real quick, too, and say that Nucleum is for sure on my honorable mention list as well. Yeah. So I just, yeah, it's a Nucleum. It's an industrial revolution of Nucleum with a big backstory about some sci fi royal city. Um, That doesn't matter too much. You're just making Nucleum and that's what you're going about in this. It definitely I could see where the influence came from, from Brass and Barrage, but I wouldn't say it replaces either of those for me. It it was yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, it's definitely different. I like to see games influenced by other games, um, and I love checking out anything by David uh, Tersi. But yeah, that's Nucleum. Yeah, I need I and I, the only reason it's probably not on my list right now is just because I played it earlier this way earlier this year with right. David Tersi, and I haven't gotten a chance to play it since it's actually been out. Right. Uh, but I, that's another one that I'll be fixing uh, soon. I think I have a copy on the way Good. Um, from Board and Dice. So yeah, and I know they have the uh, Australia expansion coming for it. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, revisiting it. I was very impressed when I played it back in April. And I knew I was like, this is going to be a banger for heavy, heavy Euro gamers. But, Such a bright game too. It's like yeah. not your usual Euro Art. Color palette, yeah. Right, yeah. Very bright, very nuclear. Do you have any other honorable mentions? Yeah, so Darwin's Journey actually also co-designed with uh, Simone Luciani, but this time with Nestor uh, Mangone from uh, Thundergriff Games. This one, I just adore this theme of this game. So I've always wanted to go to the Galapagos. Like, it sounds amazing to me to, like, see all these animals and, like, how yeah, evolution yeah. took place. This is just a classic worker placement Euro, but I love what you're doing in the game. So the theme for this is what really makes it for me because you're discovering disciplines, exploring, writing, gathering knowledge. And I just like that. I like when a game's theme is that immersive, but also when it helps you remember what you're doing and what the actions Mm, are like, because the theme plays into it, it becomes intuitive of what you're doing. So I really enjoyed that, that, just had a really great play of it. So that's another honorable cool. mention for me um, for Darwin's journey. Did you have any other honorable mentions or did I get them? I, so so we got Nucleum. I, t- I mentioned Stationfall yes. is an honorable one for me. Uh, Septima is one. I didn't really say it was. I don't think I mentioned it was an honorable mention, but like I really liked, I've only played it once. I need to play it more and just you know, make sure like to see where it kind of fits. But I really enjoyed my initial play of that. Good. Uh, Hegemony. Heck yeah. Horseless carriage. Heck yeah. <laughs> the only other two that haven't come up yet that I had on my list uh, was Wizard's Cup, 
which is a game I've talked about before, but it's it's a new one from the designer of Love Letter. And you want to talk Ooh. about mind games with Ooh. this one? It is a, an auto battler game where you're t- you're taking wizard cards, but you get to stack them in whatever uh, order you would like against your opponents, two players, by the way. And then you're battling as witches, or, well, not witches, wizards now. <laughs> um but the thing is, you can you'll potentially each game play three matches with the same six cards. So, like after we play one match, let's say you won. Now I know some of the wizards you have in your deck. You know some of the ones that I have. Now we have to reset with the same six cards, but possibly put them in whatever you know a different order, mm-hmm. and then we battle again. So you're getting in each other's heads like, oh, I saw Jess had that nine, but if <laughs> if she plays that first, then I might be able to play this and then do such and such. So because all the cards have effects, it's like so good. And it's another one where I'm so entertained watching other people play it too, because I'll just like teach two people and say, here, you guys play. And I just have a fantastic time um, watching others play it. And I, yeah, I don't know why I didn't put that on my top 10, but it's oh. so good. Uh, <laughs> You're convincing it's so yourself good. As you I know. It. There's I just it. so many great games. And uh, the other one is just Pirates of Maracaibo. Uh, I don't know if you played this, the like the yep. kind of new spinoff of Maracaibo. I only played it with two players, um, but I really enjoyed it. I just think that like I would enjoy it more with probably three or four. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten a chance to play it to see like, uh, where it kind of sets in. That's fair. So, yeah, but I liked it. So, so let's see. My last two honorable mentions, um, Arborea, Danny Garcia from Alley Cat oh, Games. Yeah. yeah, it's another thematic worker placement Euro, and I've enjoyed playing it. Like the, the shared resource track, building your personal ecosystem by overlaying terrain cards for the animals of Arborea. It's just like a nice way to cool. spend an afternoon, right? Yeah. So I'd put that in like the cozy game category. That's so yeah, hard right now. It's yeah. just just a nice, fun little. I love game. that res- the the way the resources work yes. in that game. Yeah, it's, it's it's that's the unique part for me. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, across yeah. America Flex, I said I love Looney Labs. I love the folks there. This is by Andy Looney of Looney Labs, and um, I work with this publisher. But I also traveled across the United States this summer, um, 10,000 mile road trip uh, with my partner, Edward. We went with my truck in a bed in the back and just went everywhere. All these national parks, yeah, landmarks. And so the thing about Across America Flex is it has your, you know, for goals, you're, you're collecting these cards and putting them out to get these goals. And it has all these landmarks and national parks. So playing this with my family is just like, it's fun. It brings back memories. It's like, oh, we, we saw Devil's Tower. Oh, remember when we went to Yosemite? And oh, so that's it's cool. just that kind of feel where it's like this experience and nostalgia at the same time. Awesome, Jess. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome. Man, I, I think we could both agree that there were just some really amazing games that came out yes. in 2023. And, yep. you know, we, we probably, between the two of us, haven't even played some that are, like, super cool just because it's just, like, there's so many games and there's only, like, so little time. It is. And, I mean, I learned about some just as you were going through your list. I'm like, all right, Same. I'm going to have to play that. 
So the same, same secret, here. secret caveat. I hate Great Western Trail, but now I want to play with you because you like it so much. Maybe I would like it better playing with you. Yeah, I, I am so. We're gonna have to dig into this <laughs> offline. Why do you hate it? I don't know. And I gave it another try too. Like I was like, all right, all right. Yeah. Maybe it was the. I'll I'll try again. Nope. Yeah. Every experience I've had playing it was. Not the worst gaming experience ever. It just wasn't fun. Not like, for, for you. And I was Not like, Not for you. And I don't know exactly why. Like, I know why mm. I don't like Terraforming Mars. <laughs> that I know. But I don't know why I don't like Great Interesting. Interesting. So, maybe if I play yeah, with somebody well, who obviously, loves it. no game is for every, you know, no. everybody has different things. That, that, that is very interesting. And many people love it. I would never tell people, I don't yuck on anybody's yuck. Like, if you love yeah, it, yeah. love it, enjoy <laughs> I just don't know why I don't like it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, Jess, it's always so great talking to you and I'm glad we like just randomly bumped into each other in the hall at PAX unplugged. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like one day I'm going to make it out to Boston. I promise. Please do. You are so welcome. We just have the studio (laughs) sitting here and it would be lovely to have you. I was giving you the thumbs up. (laughs) Awesome. You've been listening to the Board Game Geek Podcast, produced and edited by Candace Harris. Special thanks to Matt Fonda for editing and mixing our music. Be sure to visit us on the web at BoardGameGeek.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch under Board Game Geek. You can reach us by email at podcast at BoardGameGeek.com. Thanks for listening, and happy gaming!